Hello and welcome to the NK Active podcast. In this episode, we are going to chat about Foot Health Week. And the theme for Foot Health Week this year is working feet. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Small, who is a fellow podiatrist and is also involved within NK Active. So Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, um, great to be here. Working feet, what, do, what does this mean? What are working feet? Talk us through this. Um, well, I, I think um, particularly for the, the purpose of this year's campaign uh, for uh, Foot Health Week, it's, a, it's about people who are, are at work and, um, and making sure that their feet are in good conditions they possibly can be whilst they're at work um, and maintaining them in that condition and dealing with any problems that might arise linked to them being at work. And, and that, that's a valid point because a lot of the time people will come in presenting with an injury into clinic, either our clinics, and they'll sort of talk about the impact it has on not being able to do stuff for the family at weekends or do the sports and activities that they love. But no one ever really talks about the impacts of not being able to do your job. And for the majority of people, the majority of your Monday to Friday, and a lot of people on weekends as well, actually being at work takes a large proportion of the number of hours that you're awake in a yeah. day. And and you should be comfortable when you're at work. It's not, it's not in, my opinion, in my opinion, it's not acceptable to be sort of uncomfortable when you're at work with, with foot problems, is it? Absolutely, and, and if you think about it, if, if for a foot problem that's uh, causing trouble at home, you can change the activity easier, you can uh, change your footwear easier, you can take some remedial action, but when you're at work and you're having to get on with your job, you're not so, it's not so easy for you to make those changes that bring some comfort to yourself. So you end up sitting there for, for hours on end in, in pain, and that can be re repeated every day that you're at work. So that mostly leads on to a nice topic, and that's mostly safety shoes. Because you talk about that if you've got a foot problem outside of work, you can change your shoes, alter your shoes. But if you work in a warehouse or if you work in an environment where you, for health and safety reasons, have to wear a particular type of shoe, you can't just change your shoe because your foot hurts. There's a reason, there's safety reasons why you've got those shoes. So what are the typical things that we're seeing people presenting with when they're when they're wearing safety shoes so so one of the commonest things that i i see is actually the, the stage before it becomes a true pathology before it becomes a presenting condition it's just foot pain as a result of wearing something that's inflexible around their forefoot so if they've got a wide forefoot for instance and they put it into a safety shoe they get compression on the um, what we call the metatarsal area of the foot, the forefoot area there, uh, and on the toes, and that compression when they're on their feet all day causes symptoms that can lead on to um, uh, confirmed diagnoses of like a capsulitis, which would be inflammation of the joints, or a um, uh, or, or lead on to even a stress fracture, or um, or it could lead to a pressure on an ingrown toenail or, or formation of corns. But the initial injury is just the pressure, the compression on that forefoot area from that um, from that unforgiving footwear. Yeah, and it's for me, I, I will see a lot of big toe joint problems in safety shoes because where you have that steel toe cap, you have that bit of steel in, in the toe cap, 
you then find you then basically you've got your normal rubber sole afterwards. So you go from an aero shoe that's extremely stiff and heavy, then to the midsole that isn't. And you then tend to find that the shoe just increasingly bends a lot more around that big toe joint. So I tend to see people who come in with joint capsule issues of their big toe joint or aggravation of the sesamoids, the two little floating bones that sit underneath underneath your toe. And a lot of that is related to the footwear. And one of the, the issues I have is if you're looking at safety shoes and how long people are in them, but actually A, the choice out there and actually the overall build quality of some of these shoes, it's almost like it's just been a bit of an afterthought. And actually it's really difficult, in my opinion, to find good quality safety shoes. And a lot of the time I'm thinking actually a lot of these people's big toe problems could be resolved if they just made subtle changes to the design of how the safety shoe is is made rather than just trying to make a cheap and cheerful shoe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it did come on a, a fair way when it moved from steel toe cap to, to composite materials. That certainly did help to reduce some of the injuries, but it, it's still out there. And, and of course, catering for the, uh, the width of the requirements that we see with our patients. Um, and, and this is the problem is it has a number of sales for the business. The companies that are making this footwear, um, you know, they're not going to um, they're not going to make the, necessarily the wide range that we need them to have for the choice of footwear to, to benefit their feet or to stop problems with their feet. No, exactly. But it is it is an issue because if we talk about what is called musculoskeletal, so sort of bone tendon muscle type injuries within the workforce, when we look at the data, I think it's from the Office of National Statistics from 2018 to 19. There are about 138,000 new cases in, in that year period, which resulted in about 9.6 million hours lost of, of working time. That's a lot. Of working days. That's, that's, that's a lot. And okay, it's, they're, they're all not all going to be foot problems. There's going to be back issues and upper limb issues and other tendon problems throughout the, throughout the body. But they're still going to be a lot. And it's something that I, I still see a lot of in clinic um what about things like athlete's foot and fungal skin infections in in the workplace yeah well of course it, it, particularly if you're in some form of manual labor um where you're you're being active you're generating heat um and inside the your footwear that you're wearing then that's going to be the ideal environment for fungus to grow that warm moist environment inside footwear and, and it, again, if you're at home, you could easily change um, socks or shoes during the day to mitigate that. But when you're at work, you put them on at the beginning of the day and you don't take them off until eight or 12 hours later. Um, and, uh, and, and then when, when sometimes you even leave the footwear at work so you don't get any chance to, to you know, dry them out or to treat inside the footwear before you put on different shoes to come home. So fungal infection is a, is a biggie. Um, and um, and, and it, once it once it starts to take hold in the skin, of course, it can then infect the nails. Once it gets into the nails, it, it's notoriously difficult to get rid of. So then, it, I think it's also most people don't realise that athlete's foot is is a fungal skin infection, and it, it's very very common. And what we both know it's extremely common. People who are working in warm environments, because we know the fungus loves that warm, moist environment to grow and breed and survive and That's but it's right. actually very it's very easily treatable 
But then when you're talking about the treatment of it, you, people often don't then treat the socks and the footwear that they're wearing at the same time. And people don't forget that those fungal spores can happily live for a nice long period of time in there. So if you're just treating the skin, but they're not treating the shoes, are you actually managing it properly? Yeah, you just get reoccurrence, of course. And, and you hit, hit the nail on the head there because you said it's athlete's foot. Well, of course, it could be worker's foot. Um, it could easily give that label for the uh, for how common it is out there for people who are wearing um, footwear all day and creating that warm, moist environment. Well, I think people athletes that they must have just seen like thirteen to fifteen year old boys that play football in sort of <laughs> <laughs> sweaty socks. So it's all well and good us sat here discussing the issues with with safety shoes, and we both know we can't change the issues with safety shoes overnight. So it's all well with us saying well, these are the issues, but actually what should people be doing then if they are getting a problem related to safety shoes in the work environment? Um, yes, yeah, so obviously the, the, the first thing is if they're getting something that's not resolving, uh, they don't want it to become more of an issue. So it's better to get advice earlier on about what could be done because it may be something they've already caused damage the compression may have already caused a problem um, and that may need treatment um, obviously the, some of the, some of the issues that can, can create a, a wider footprint can be linked to um, foot posture and um, and how your biomechanics are um, and so it's uh, it, it's a well worthwhile getting a, a check with a, a healthcare professional podiatrist um, or, or a, um, a suitable clinic to actually be assessed for whatever problem you're getting and being given the best advice for the best treatment um, to help to manage it. Certainly just putting off with it and then get worse and worse gradually over time, it's just gonna affect more and more of your life and it's gonna move from being a working foot problem to a all of life foot problem. Yeah, we saw a lot of that during the lockdown period, leaving things too long for some ingrown toenails. And we saw in clinic the the severity of the ingrown toenails, they were, they were a little more gory, should we say. <laughs> I think during the lockdown, people didn't know what to do, didn't know who was open, what was open. A lot of people were shut down because of the pandemic. And then people just left ingrown toenails for 18 months. And then by the time they then get to us in clinic, we're like, actually, these are taking slightly longer to settle down than normal because they're just that little bit more angry when actually, it's again, with most things, the sooner you can seek advice and help, then the sooner you can start that road to recovery and getting back to enjoying Absolutely. life. Yeah, it's, a, it's something uh, interesting I've noticed with the ingrown toenail, particularly in the younger adult male where it's most common, um, is that when it initially starts, it starts off as pain, but when they've had it for a year, it's like they've just got used to the pain from it and they just tolerate it and it doesn't cause them any issues, um, apart from they've got this weeping wound that means that soil their socks quickly um so uh, so they just put up with it don't they and then then they have recurrent episodes of antibiotics because of infection um and we're, you and i know that it's very simple for us to sort it out permanently for them with a little operation yeah it, it's a very very simple fix we had someone once left it so long that the ingrown toe then started then the nail started then poke out the other side of the the bottom of the toe yeah yeah um, that, yeah yeah, and you sort of think how how can how can it how can it be left that long? We say people just then treat it as normal, but we should never get to a point where we accept pain as something like that for an ingrown internal class as normal way of living because it's not, especially when there's an easy remedy to resolve that as, as it were. 
Absolutely. But you and I know that people do accept pain. They, yeah. they accept a level of pain in their life. It doesn't matter whether it's ingrown toenail or Achilles tendonitis or, or something else. They just accept a background level of pain in their life. And um, uh, and it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you, you can get things fixed, see the right person and get things solved for yourself. Yeah. So then keeping on topic of working feet, obviously we've gone through this pandemic and fingers crossed as we were coming out of the other side touch wood mm-hmm. um obviously things have changed with regards to how how long people are in the office now compared to working from home it seems that i don't know the data but from the patients i see in clinic, there's there's this much more work from home work from office this work in the office sort of blend mm-hmm. as it were so we may not be seeing as many of the sort of footwear feet issues cause from work because people just aren't in the office as much but they're still going to be getting some problems so what is it that we can be then doing when we're when we're sat at home to doing things to try and then help obviously reduce the risk of developing injuries and 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 foot problems then going forward well, of course, when we look at footwear and we talked about safety footwear, there's other types of footwear that we wear during the day. And yeah. if you're at home, it may be that you're slobbing around in slippers, which aren't so good for your feet and can cause uh, cause problems, just like safety footwear can cause problems. Or you uh, you end up going through a meeting and putting on smarter shoes that you're not used to wearing. Um, and, and that can cause a, a spike of load that could you know, bring on uh, issues for yourselves. So I think generally um, a foot health and, and thinking about your foot health is an important thing to do wherever you're working. Uh, and, and that can be around foot hygiene, so that's the avoidance of your athlete foot, your fungal infections, but also um, foot strength and, um, and flexibility um, and, and doing simple exercises. Um, building it into your, uh, your daily routine. And that should apply to our whole bodies, of course, not just our feet. No, and that fits in really well to the next point I was going to raise, which which I think is most probably not the biggest issue, but the biggest thing that I think people forget about and it doesn't really get spoken about too much is the fact that some of the patients that we see in clinic they'll sort of say when they're working from home, they may do as little as 2,000 steps a day but when they're in the office especially if they're somewhere they have to commute get a train do lots of walking so going into london for example they may cover 15 20 000 steps a day if they've gone from an environment where they're used to doing 15 20 000 steps a day five days a week and then they've then dropped off due to the pandemic and they may have dropped down to doing 2000 steps five days a week then when they then go and try increase back up to 15 that we're seeing them people starting to pick up some injuries but then not sort of piecing the information together and not thinking about the workload on the foot with regards to the daily activities that they're doing which includes work it, and it's the old analogy of use it or lose it isn't it it's that yeah. case of you're getting your foot's used to doing one thing and then it's the, well, then almost your body would have slightly deconditioned because you just activity levels have dropped off. And then you then had a quick return back to activity. And a lot of people will think of that and liken that to not running to then going to run 10 miles straight away. We've had that big increase. But it's the same impact really is not with regards to work as well in going from 
office home-based stuff to then back in work doing lots of activity it's still activity that the body needs to get used to so it is really important in my opinion that well you are keeping your activity levels up at home if you're working from home and not commuting i had one patient who was saving i think it was three and a half hours four hours a day door-to-door time and in that time he literally trained for an ironman in the time mm-hmm. he saved just from not commuting to the office anymore. I don't think his boss would ever convince him to go back into the office because he's like, I've got four hours a day back in my life. Like, why do I want to give that up again? But of course, he, he replaced that time with doing something active. Yes. He didn't sit there on his computer doing one work. And, and so he got the balance right, hadn't he? Oh, he got the balance because it would be so easy, wouldn't it, to think, well, actually, I'll log on that extra hour earlier. And then an extra hour later, and before you know it, you're then doing an extra two hours a day work. And then we both know that. We've been guilty of doing stuff like that before, and it just it just spirals out of control. Yes, yes. Doesn't it? The, 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 the keeping active is a, is a key thing. You, you hit the nail on the head that you said about deconditioning, and we don't realise that. And that's not just in our feet or in our strength or our flexibility. It, it can be in our general wellness as well. There's this deconditioning, and then then we expect to just perform like we used to pre-COVID, uh, and and we expect yeah. to go back into the workforce in exactly the same way that we we dropped out of it. And it and it it, it needs to be a gradual uh, time to uh, to change and adapt, give the body chance to get used to its new normal. And we we all struggled with that in that first lockdown where we were in this yeah. new normal, and it's the same going back to work now. And um, and getting back to our, our new normal um, after the pandemic. Yeah, I agree, and I think the big the big tip from that for me would be trying to keep doing something on a regular basis. Whether that's going for a walk every morning, whether that's getting on the bike or getting on something like the Peloton or doing an online class, it doesn't really matter. Just get out and just do something take your work break your lunch break and go out and do something just keep active because then when you then need to go back to work and do a lot more working or lifting at work your body's ready to do that and we know that the chances are you'll most probably reduce your risk of them picking up any injuries and as you say that's not just the foot that's the whole body but definitely as well within within the foot as well i think when when the first sort of series of lockdown ended we saw so many injuries included that were just related to that sudden change in activity activity levels so then that then also then leads us nicely like fatigue and obviously we're now finding that people are, are trying to be more active and not sitting because obviously we know the disease of sitting i don't like the ter- that term but that's what it is is called is is one of the biggest killers in in the UK, and it's sort of, I think it's there just to try and that scare factor in, in how it's because get people more active. But then there's a case of well, you see a lot of people having standing desks, and now standing for long periods of time. So then, what sort of problems are we then seeing that could be related to, to that having these standing desks? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the obvious one is if you, if you are spending hours on end, just stood still, fairly still, then you you are going to feel fatigue. And you're going to feel fatigue because you're going to have uh, fluid retention because of gravity. Um, you're not going to be engaging all the muscles and you're not going to be activating the muscle pump to pump fluid out. Um, so it's uh, so you're generally going to feel tired. You may feel soreness. 
on the uh, on the balls of the feet as well. Um, so uh, so you've got you have got to keep moving. Uh, it isn't just about um, not not sitting. It's about getting up and moving around. Yeah, and the biggest injury I would tend to see that is people often call it plantar fasciitis, but it's not plantar fasciitis i tend to see is aggravation of the fat pad in in the heel just from that because we know that standing for long periods of time the fat pad if it's irritated it's not going to thank you for that at all it's, it's going to scream it's going to shout at you but often that will get misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis and we both know that they're, they're two two separate things and again that's where the likes of footwear or wearing something a little more cushioned just to offload that area if you are standing for long periods of time and you're not used to doing it it's a way of standing long periods of time is great but again it's doing it in that gradual fashion i think it is the, you'll notice the theme throughout this this talk today i think it's the body will do anything it wants to do it just needs the right environment and the right structure to get there and a lot of the time it's slow and steady wins the race no big changes quickly and that's with regards to changing activities at work that's regarding to training for an event at the end of the day the body doesn't really know any different our minds psychologically training for events is going to be different from getting fit to work but to the at the end of the day load is load the body can't differentiate between between the two no that that's absolutely right and so you've got to give it chance to to, to make that adaptation um, and 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 bear in mind that as you as you get older you can still adapt there's no block to it as you get older it just may take you a bit longer to adapt and and yeah. we're all two years older than we were at the beginning of the first pandemic the, the first lockdown and and so then you, it's going to take that a little bit longer to to get to get that adaptation to to work for you only two years. I've started to get a few grey hairs appear. <laughs> <laughs> I had I don't a full head of hair before. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, that what working with me does to you? Does it? It's sort of. Um... <laughs> so then, other things that can affect. Again, it's not just work-related, but something called Reynolds. Um, if you suffer with Reynolds, you know exactly what it is. But actually, for the person listening now, did you want to explain what Reynolds is? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, it was one that I thought was worthwhile mentioning because if you're working in um, a, a warehouse environment, cold concrete floors, or a delivery driver out and about, um, then if you've got a susceptibility to Reynolds, it can cause you real problems. And, and Reynolds is a, is a vasoconstrictor, so it's a, a, a spasm in the small blood vessels within the uh, fingers and the toes um, in response predominantly to cold weather. It can be other things like vibration can set it off. And, uh, and it can be quite a, a, a painful condition um, and it's a, a frustrating one as well because it can be set off just from walking outside on, on a cold day or being in a, in a cold factory. Um, but the, there are things that can be done to help um, if, you, if you are suffering with, uh, with circulation problems um, to, to your feet or to your hands and well worthwhile seeking professional advice on that rather than just coping with it. Yeah, and it is, it is, I think it's something that's relevant because out of all of the sectors and over the last sort of 18 months, two years, that have most probably grown, it will be that that delivery, warehouse performance. Um, if we've all kept an eye on 
what Amazon stock price has done over the last two years. Um, Jeff Bezos has done rather well, should we say, <laughs> out of it. So, But that does mean if there are more deliveries, that means there are going to be more people needed to fill those delivery driver roles to help pack the parcels up, to help then go and deliver everything that's needed. So you talk about things that can be done. What are those things that can be done? Well, you've got you've got um, medical treatments you can uh, see um, things like methadone tablets, um, um, captopril, things like that can uh, can help to uh, open up the blood vessels. But there's um, self care things that can be done. So wrapping up warm, um, uh, thick insulated socks, um, uh, thick insulated footwear, um, insulated uh, insoles inside the footwear, making sure that you're warm before before you go out. Um, you can even get heated socks and gloves uh, if necessary, if, you, if the problem's uh, bad enough to warrant it for yourself. So, um, as, yeah, there's, there's some really useful things that can be done. And what's the one thing you've got to be careful of with, it's not just with Reynolds, but Reynolds can leave you more susceptible to it if you go from that that cold environment where the circulation hasn't quite getting to the, to the extremities of the fingers and the toes. And then you suddenly go into a very warm environment very quickly. Um, I, I sort of hope you get where I'm going yeah, yeah, with do, this. Yeah, so, yeah, sort yeah. Of, um, so, so you've got you've got the issue happening, and this applies to delivery drivers because they jump back into the van, put the heating on full blast. They're going to get a warm blast of uh, uh, warm air onto their onto their feet or their hands. You've got you've got the risk of um, uh, causing disruption to the blood vessels that can set off. Uh, a, a chill brain incident or an ulceration incident or, or just intense pain. Yeah. And and I think the the workforce that is are those delivery drivers, especially maybe the ones who are doing sort of supermarket deliveries where they've got those refrigerated vans and then and then working in the winter and the cold evenings. And people often think that chill blains you can only get it if you've got underlying medical conditions and problems. Anyone can get it. If you give it the right environment and going from cold to warm very, very quickly, anyone can get a chill plane. And they they don't sound too much. But if you've had one, you know you've had one because they are horrifically, horrifically painful. So what are the signs of a chill plane? What does it look like? Okay, so so you're looking, um, uh, if you get a, a lesion on your on your toe, that uh, particularly if there's other colour changes around the toe that's taken place, um, then uh, you can see either um, uh, just um, uh, a change in the skin texture uh, initially uh, that then may become more disruptive. It may harden off. It may start to weep um, or bleed. Um, and, and the soreness and the pain that, that comes associated with that. There are other conditions that can present in a similar fashion from that description, but if, if you're also getting it as a stimulus from the change from cold to, to warm, as you say, then it's most likely that it's a, a chill blade. And one of the things, of course, for the past two years that, that presents in a similar fashion is COVID toe. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's a, a spasm in the blood vessels because of um, COVID. And... What what can you do to help treat a chill blame? What what should if you think you've got one, what what should you do? Um, so the first thing is prevention is better than cure with chill blame. You yes. can avoid it in the first place. That's the best thing. Um, keeping you want to if it is a, a broken chill blame, you have an unbroken which is not weeping and broken which would be weeping. You'd want to keep it protected 
um, with um, uh, with a dressing of some sort um, to, to help to avoid chance of uh, getting infected. Um, there are uh, localized ruby patients, things that actually get the circulation going in that localized area um, that you can apply to the uh, to the tissues to help. Um, but generally, keeping wrapped up warm and protected is uh, is probably the best thing. And then, on average, how long would it take for a chilblain to settle down? Yeah, so it, as long as it doesn't um, uh, get infected, then you'd expect it to settle within one to two weeks. Yeah, and and yeah, you say prevention's better than cure. So if you, if you are unfortunate to get one, then you can then learn on re, basically track back your steps, works out why did this happen in the first place, and then go back and say, okay, what can I do? What measures can I put in place? That may be an extra pair of socks to keep your feet warm. It may be a case of... I remember I always I made the mistake when I had a paper round and my mum told me off was you come in doing your paper round in a winter's morning it's 7am your hands are cold and I just get a tub of hot water and I put my hands in it and I remember I got a, a bit of a lecture shall we say from my mum saying <laughs> Nick you'll get a chillblain and I'm like I was like 13 14 at the time thinking what is a chillblain I had no idea like as a teenager but yeah it was um my, my, my lad nearly got one on his tongue when he was three years old. He decided to lick the metal handle on a gate on a frosty morning and his tongue stuck to the gate. Oh, yeah, kids and <laughs> licking things. I, what, what is it with... I know it's a little off topic. What is it with small children <laughs> licking? My, my youngest got his obsession with just licking metal poles as, as, as well. <laughs> It's, a, it's another sense isn't it going through um but in, in, interesting obviously we're going into warmer weather now so it's not going to be such an issue is no. it, the, the rain side of thing. but something else that can affect circulation um and uh, and cause other problems is uh, is diabetes so yes. I'll, I'll ask you the question uh, for you to explain how that's going to affect working feet then. well the thing with diabetes it will affect the working foot and any foot because we know diabetes has the potential if it's not that well controlled to affect the blood supply down to the foot and also to affect the nerve supply to the foot. And the, the biggest one is when you start affecting the nerve supply and you get what is called is neuropathy. And what this neuropathy is, is basically the nerves, the communication from the foot to the nerves to the brain, that, that message just isn't happening. So effectively that means you can have something rubbing in shoes or you can stand on something and not realize that you have done it. Whereas you and I, if I feel something rubbing like a shoe, you you stop it before you get a blister formation. Or if you stand on something, normally in my house, a bit of Lego or something, you know about it. But actually, if you've got neuropathy, you may not notice that. And if you stand on something and you cause a wound, and you don't realise, you don't check your feet on a regular basis, then unfortunately that wound can become quite nasty quite quite quickly. And especially when you go on walk with um, work shoes, and if you go back to the whole safety shoes, or even if you go, if you happen to wear a smart dress shoe, there's a slightly narrower fit, and if you're getting any any rubbing on the inside or outside of the foot around the big toe or the little toe, that can then present in corn formation then if they continue to do that that can then break down eventually and result in in ulceration which isn't which isn't nice at all because 
then you've then got an open wound in the foot that you've then got to got to manage. And then with the blood supply, it also is that if you've then the blood supply is affected, to have a good healing, you effectively need good and nice amount of blood getting down to that area. So if your blood supply or vascular status is compromised, then it's the body's ability to then heal that area becomes a little more a little more difficult. So it is something that is the majority of diabetics will be well drilled and versed about those regular foot checks and health checks, but it is it does become even more important when it comes to fitting the shoes to make sure that they fit correctly and that they're suitable for what you need them to do to try and reduce the risk of developing any 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 foot problems. And yeah, absolutely. And and, and making sure that you understand the risk status that you've got with your feet and uh, and having an in-depth assessment to establish that risk status. Um, and and NKX has got some great assessment tools for musculoskeletal conditions, but you're also developing some for, for, for diabetic patients as well. Uh, there's a new piece of kit you're getting uh, up and running now uh, to help assess that circulation, isn't that? There is, yeah. It's, it's something to um, assess what we call the AEPI, the Ankle Brachial Pressure Index, which in English basically just means looking at the difference in blood pressure between your arm and then your ankle. Yes, you can take blood pressure from from your ankle and ideally there shouldn't be any difference at all however if you start to see some differences that either means the blood supply is not at the getting down to the foot as well as it should be or it could be that the arteries are starting to harden up so you get what we call this this calcification occurring which can again unfortunately happen in in diabetes and, and i've always maintained that the scary thing with diabetes isn't what it does it, it can also sometimes be our naivety and not giving it the respects it deserves because we know if you can manage it well your chances of then getting complications from it are much lower it's when you have repeated un, uncontrolled your blood sugars are repeatedly higher we know that increases your chance of getting your vascular problems your neuropathy problems and it is really important to maintain having those regular checks even if every time you're going for a check, you're getting told everything is okay. But there may be one time you go for that annual check and something's not as okay as it should be, but you then pick it up early. So then you then get the right treatment, you get the right advice to try and nip it in the bud nice and early. Or if you can't nip it in the bud, then give you the suitable education to say, okay, this is now what you now need to do to help live and manage this, to try and reduce the risk of getting further complications, as it were. Yeah, and that's, that's where it's important to know that risk status, whether it's low, moderate or high, because the education and management plan is different. Um, and I, I know that not everybody who has uh, their annual foot check uh, with healthcare professional actually gets told that risk status. And therefore, they're getting generic advice across the board, yeah. whereas you can have far more tailored, personalised advice once you've had assessment for that risk status. It, 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 exactly. I, I completely completely agree and it is something that um hasn't got forgotten about during the pandemic but it always hasn't been on the top of this we well know that the health service had much bigger things to to worry about but it is it's one of those things that you can't especially if you're diabetic you can't neglect 
your foot health that there's a reason why annual foot health checks were put in place in in the first place and the reason why and there's a reason why that the risk status of that low medium high was developed in in the first place so then the appropriate management can be put in can be put in place that, that brings us very nicely to a, a regular patient of mine who uh, who spends is a is a shop owner and he spends from five o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night uh, working at his shop um, uh, and managing his staff. He gets involved in stacking shelves, doing all the ordering, um, uh, running the whole whole place, and he's on his feet constantly. But he's he's a high risk diabetic foot problem. He's a history of ulceration and neuropathy. And, uh, and he needs to have very regular care to keep his feet going for him at work because he knows that if his feet go wrong, he won't be able to work. And if he can't work, that means there's a vulnerability for his whole business and his staff. So it's a, a, a massive knock-on effect to make sure that we look after his feet and keep them in as good condition as possible. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I think that's a nice way to now sort of bring this episode um, to an end. So... I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on the Anchor Active podcast. Hopefully you will join us again uh, on future episodes. Um, I hope you did like that episode today. Um, please do subscribe and uh, to the Anchor Active podcast and we shall see you on the next episode. See you later. Bye. Thanks, Luke. Bye.